The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing unto you, God. Amen. So it's pretty typical advice when you're going on a first date to hear the words, don't talk about religion or politics. Two very contentious topics for any people sitting down for the first time to talk. But we're getting to know each other. I've been here a few times, so I think we can dispense with that and we can have a real honest talk about faith and politics and their intersection. And of course, it's relevant to talk about how we as Christians engage in the political world today because politics dominates our news. If you think of over the past year, I have listened to our political leaders, both federal, provincial, municipal, more than I think I ever have in years past. Not to mention, I've also looked to other countries around the world with this COVID situation. How are places like the USA, the United Kingdom, France, Australia, China, how are they handling it? How are their political leaders talking about it? I'm curious. And what's more, now that we have entered a third lockdown, a third stay-at-home order, government regulations, uh, they tell us how we are to gather as Christians whether or not we can worship in person or not. And we wonder sometimes, are we really supposed to listen? Is church not more important than civil obedience? And we wrestle with trying to figure out how to best navigate these uncertain times through our faith in our community and our political system. And so as Christians, when we engage in this, we recognize, of course, that for many years now, we've no longer been the dominant force in politics. Christians have no longer, are no longer the ones making policy and setting down laws. We're a very multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-faith society, and that is reflected in our government system. So how do we continue to navigate in this political sphere that is not always kind and friendly to our Christian point of view and understanding. In order to do that, we need to understand who we are and how we are to live in this system. So first, a word of caution. This sermon, our time together, it's not going to tell you how to vote in 2022 in our provincial elections. That's not the point. I don't think I have the authority nor the capacity to tell any of you how to vote but we should discuss it. And I'm also going to speak very broadly today. I'm going to talk in general of themes of politics and of Christian living in that. We will have some specific examples to think on, but it's hard for me to stand up here and tell each one of you how to behave. And so we'll talk about how the Spirit and God calls us into living, and we can think about how to apply that specifically in our lives. So in order to do this, we'll first take some time to orient ourselves as citizens of Canada. And to do that, we start by reading here in Philippians uh, 3, 15 to 21. So in this passage, uh, the church in Philippi, this is a city of Roman governance. It is full of citizens who earned their Roman citizenship through military service. 
They spent their life in the army fighting Rome's wars, expanding their borders, and in uh, gratitude, the Roman Empire grants them land and livelihood, servants, slaves to work this land. So in exchange for spilling blood for the empire, they are made wealthy, first-class citizens. Because in the Roman Empire, to be a Roman citizen puts you at the top of the pecking order. You had more rights and more laws protecting you than anyone else. Below that, you might find upper-class citizens, uh, Greeks, you know, people who shared some cultural affinity with Rome that were seen as more enlightened. And then you can kind of work your way down with slaves and the like being at the absolute bottom. It's good to be Roman. And what's more, the city of Philippi, it was founded by the Roman Empire in the province of Macedonia to be the governing center of this region, to be a beacon of Roman light to the region. By settling ex-soldiers and Roman officials and wealthy merchants there, Rome extended her reach and her influence and sort of made a little mini-Rome there. So there was a lot of pride to be found in being a Roman citizen anywhere through the empire, but especially in Philippi. And so here Paul recognizes that there might be some tension for these Christians because there's a conflict. To be a citizen of Rome meant paying total allegiance to the Roman emperor to say that Caesar was a god, to make your weekly or daily trips to the temple, to the Caesar, and to throw a pinch of incense on the altar, to say Caesar is Lord, and so curry favor with all that Rome was, its laws, its officials, its governance. But for the Christians, well, Jesus is Lord. Caesar certainly is not God. That much they know. So now they have a choice. They have to choose between saying Jesus is Lord and all the rights and perks and privileges that come with being a Roman citizen. And so here we get this wonderful image that Paul says that their citizenship is in heaven. It's not about the here and now, he says. Because for the Roman citizens, they govern themselves, their God is their stomach, their desires, everything that they simply want, their, their appetites for power, for the physical material and wealth that is accumulated by worshipping Caesar, by worshipping the Roman state and living into that. This will not last. These are not the eternal things to seek after, Paul reminds them. They are not here on earth to elevate their position and social status by playing the political game? No. They are called to model Jesus, to imitate Christ, to live for what is to come, because they belong to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has adopted them in. And so he's asking them to twist their thinking just a little bit from what they have grown to know. It's not about the here and the now, the benefits that come with being part of Rome, but it's about looking forward and ahead to what is going to come, for when Christ will return. It's this image of the kingdom of God being sort of here, but not yet. There is definitely benefit to being a Christian now. Paul is not saying 
that's, well, you're just going to have to suck it up and deal with everything terrible in life. No, we have been redeemed. We have been restored, made righteous. It's one of the great things about this Easter season is this intense reflection on what Christ has done for our beings. Transformed. We are being transformed, and when Christ returns, we will be fully redeemed and transformed. We belong to heaven. And so, when we look at our society, and we look at all the things in social media, because we're on it a lot these days, it's how we stay connected, that is vying for our attention, telling us to buy these clothes, invest in this business, buy this car, get more followers on Instagram. So many things that would create more status. The appearance of success. All these things in our society vying for our attention are but temporary. And it's the same for politics. We love to talk about the politician's promise. They are trying to win you over from the other party by pointing out their flaws, the other party's flaws, by pointing out their own strengths. They're trying to encourage you that we will have a better nation, a stronger, more lasting nation. You will be better if you vote for me. They're important things to listen to when we cast our vote, but they are not eternal, infallible promises. And so we need to listen to them with that little bit of a grain of salt, knowing that it's not the perfect promises that we have been given through Christ. It's not the be-all and end-all who we vote for. It's a temporary passing thing that has real impacts here and now, but should be done with our kingdom identity at the fore and the center. Because ultimately, it's not our Canadian passport that is the most important, but our passport into heaven, so to speak, which has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And so, we are then told to wait. If our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like this glorious body. So we wait for Jesus to come, to make our citizenship that is in heaven also here, heaven on earth, the kingdom of God now. But it's not yet. So what do we do in the meantime? We are citizens of heaven, but heaven is not fully here. How do we live? How do we engage in our society at large, particularly politics? Many writers take the approach that we are a church in exile, and so we must retreat to the hills and wait. Cut ourselves off from society, sort of build our little cities on the hill, be a beacon of light, but stay away from everything of this world that might taint and corrupt us and not even bother. And just wait. People want to come find us. They know where we are, but we're not getting out there. We are not participating in the fallen and broken world to this extent, especially not politics. But I think if we dig into Scripture a little bit, we see that retreat from our political and legal systems, withdrawing from these spheres, is not something 
that God would advocate of us. In fact, he'd ask us to turn around and head directly into the center of it, into the belly of the beast, so to speak. Our second passage here comes from Romans. Um, I'm going to read it again uh, since uh, it's, it's so good, and it's been a bit. So I'd invite you to join me then in Romans 13, where it says, Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for the good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath and punishment for the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but it is also a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Being a citizen of heaven does not mean turning our nose up to our governing authorities. To say that you have no power over me because I do not belong to you, I belong to God. For Paul writes here that our governing authorities are placed in power over us by God. They rule on his behalf to an extent. When Paul is writing this to the church in Rome, there's likely no persecution at this time. It's in between waves of, of emperors, between Nero and Domitian. It's a time of relative peace for Christians. They are not looked at well, but they're not being hunted down. And so for the Christians in Rome, at the center of the heart of the empire, at the center of where Caesar calls himself God, they have to continue to ask themselves, just like the church in Philippi, how do we respond? For we know that they are not the ultimate authority. There is one above them. We should listen to God above Caesar, above our governors, above our premier, above our prime minister, right? Yes, absolutely listen to God above that. But it does not mean we ignore our political leaders. When Paul is writing here, it would be common for the Jews of the day, for a select group known as the Zealots, people who believed so intensely that the kingdom of God was real and was going to be here and now established, that God was truly the only king, that they determined it to be their duty to drive the Romans out so that God could reign supreme, to set up a holy government. And so the zealots essentially turned themselves into domestic terrorists, assassinating Roman uh, consuls, uh, sabotaging military uh, camps. They fought by violent means to bring about the kingdom of God because they would not say Caesar is Lord. And Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, which was largely a Jewish community, the Gentiles were making inroads, is reminding them that 
violence is not the answer. Aggressive resistance of the political rule is not the way to bring about the kingdom of God. God does not need our help ruling the world. He can do it just fine. And so we are not here to establish political dynasties, to establish a Christian rule over our countries, no more than the, than the Christians of Rome were called to overturn the emperor. We're not called to set up a Christian democracy here in Canada. We're not supposed to fight to the government, but be dutiful citizens, obeying the law. Do not hinder the state, but help them. Pay taxes. These systems are set up in place to fund, for in the Roman Empire, to fund roads and to create safety in the empire. So don't do anything to prohibit that. Encourage them. Help them. Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy 2 to pray for your leaders so that you might live in peace. We don't need to fear our governments if we obey, if we follow the law. Wise words. And it would be easy to stop here in a discussion about faith and politics to simply say, do what is right, obey the law, and you have nothing to worry about. It'll all be fine. Especially here in Canada, where we don't have laws that are anti-Christian. There is nothing that prevents us from gathering and worshiping. Though there is COVID, we still freely can live stream on the internet, uncensored. These are things to celebrate. Our government does not oppress us as Christians. We have nothing to fear. So yes, let us support the state. But we also have a more important question to ask. One that has been burning in our minds for perhaps a long time, though we may not have known exactly what the question was, but it's certainly been prevalent in our media. Because what do we as Christians do? What is our call as citizens of heaven, but also ones who are to support the government do when there are clearly people in our country who do follow the law, who are innocent of crime, yet live in daily fear of our government, of our police? Our governments are certainly ordained by God, but they do not rule with absolute authority. They are still liable to abuse power, and often through times they have been held to account. And we like to celebrate those times when a people fed up with a despotic and tyrannical government rise up and say enough is enough. For our Dutch Protestant heritage, we might look to the Eighty Years' War when the United Netherlands overthrew the oppressive yoke of Catholic Spain. Perhaps we might look to our southern neighbors, to the American Revolution, who demanded fair taxation and fair representation, and when that was not granted, said, is enough is enough, we need honest rule. We might look to the French Revolution, King Louis XVI, Marie Antoinette, and all their lavish lifestyle while people starved in the street. Enough was enough. They needed better government. Perhaps we might look to less violent measures as well. The Civil Rights Movement and Martin Luther King Jr., the peaceful marches on Washington, the fantastic speeches, the peaceful protest for better governance. 
for African Americans. These types of moments, they draw our attention because we recognize things were not right. That the rulers and the governments were not upholding their responsibility to rule for the purpose of peace, and someone called them to account. Of course, it breaks our heart when it comes through violent means of revolution and death. But we can look at it and say, sometimes there is a price to be paid. And so, how do we look at these events, which we celebrate in popular culture, and which we as Christians sometimes celebrate when Paul tells us to be subject to authorities because they govern by God? How do we determine when it is appropriate to take action against our God-ordained governments and call them into account? Dr. Esau Macaulay, in his book, Reading While Black, the subtitle is uh, African-American Biblical Interpretation as an Exercise of Hope. He writes to address this question of what to do when your government does not promote peace for the innocent. For he writes from an American context, which if we've watched the news even just this past week, we know that for folks like Dante Wright, that was not the case. We're not living in peace because of their innocence. They were living in fear. And so we cannot read this passage in Romans 13. We cannot read these passages in Philippians as a call to passivity, to simply roll over, to suffer unjustly, and for those of us that are not suffering, to watch the innocent live in fear. To simply say, just don't break the law and you'll be fine, because clearly that is not how things operate. So Macaulay, he writes that when the state is unjust towards us, and he speaks of African Americans, when they keep the law, then as Christians it is our responsibility to call the government to account. For us in Canada, we are definitely not immune to it. In my own context, living not just not far outside of Caledonia, anytime I'd have to take a trip down to the Canadian Tire, I'd be greeted by OPP cruisers and blockades and a torn up road and a bus with the words 1492 Land Back Lane spray painted across the side. For the First Nations, for the, the six nations of the Grand River, they are tired. And we could be tempted to look at at such an event, the tearing up of roads and infrastructure and blocking development and say, is that really the way to be heard? Is that really going to get things done? Seeing videos of them hitting police cars with lacrosse sticks, is that how people are going to listen to you? We might be tempted to think that this response is excessive, unnecessary, unjustified, is not going to get results. Just go through the process of public discourse write to your mayor, go to town hall meetings, organize public forums. I mean, it would probably work for me. But can we step back for a moment? And when this sensational news grabs our attention, can we ask and say, is that really their first response? That when land claims come into question, is their first course of action to tear up the road and set up blockades and beat on police cars? 
I don't think so. I think for these people who want to live in innocent, who want to live innocent lives, free from government oppression, who want to live in peace, this is their last resort. That the system, our political system, our means of coming into meaningful conversation have failed them to such an extent that they feel they have no other action. We see these communities pushed to the brink to be heard. To say, we want to live peaceful lives. We want to be good members of the community, but we don't have any other choice to be heard. And as Christians, of course, we abhor violence and aggression. We know that that is not what we are called to. But we are also called to advocate for social change that would prevent people from having to fear the state while innocent so they don't have to resort to these extreme cases. It's a hard task. It is a hard call. But it is our responsibility. The Dutch theologian and politician from, uh, writes in 1848, this is from William Crone van Prinster, he writes, Heavy are the duties which the darkness and corruption of the times impose on those who are called to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. It is not easy to stand up to our political system and our leaders, to call them to account it is not perhaps easy or comfortable to come alongside marginalized communities that perhaps do not share in our faith, in our ideals, in our values, but nonetheless, we have the shared value of peace and security and life. It is our Christian privilege, Ben Prinster continues, that as we observe the signs of the times to ascend on the winds of faith to a higher sphere, let this be our privilege, looking to him that is God who gives wisdom and strength. Let us be alive in the vastness of God's benefit and be mindful to the extent of our responsibility. We, citizens of heaven, but also firmly here citizens of Canada, residents of Ontario, are called to engage in this now and not yet kingdom. We are not to retreat to where it is comfortable to live out our own lives in peace, but we are called to move towards the hurt and the pain. We are called to advocate for peace. As much as our governments are ordained by God to rule us, we are also called and given authority by God to remind them that they are not rulers, but stewards of God's people, caretakers, not overlords. We can face the troubles of this world with hope, because, like for the Philippians, our Canadian citizenship is not the ultimate end. We belong to something better, something more eternal. And as citizens of heaven, we are called to then be ambassadors of grace and compassion, seeking justice, bringing peace to the innocent. And what's more, instead of being just ambassadors, instead of just being citizens, we are also brought into this as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. For Jesus teaches in the Beatitudes that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
We are called to look after our own well-being, but called to look above and beyond that, to look for our community, to advocate for peace. And so I would encourage you to look into your community and to look for those that do not feel that they live in peace, to advocate on their behalf where they feel that their voice is silent, to write to your members of federal and provincial parliament, to talk to your neighbors, to engage in meaningful dialogue, to talk about what we can do to promote peace and dignity in those that feel that they have no other recourse in our system. For broken as though it may be, we are called to engage, to let our voices be heard, not so that we, we as Christians may be dominant, but so that peace can be a defining characteristic of us in Canada as a forerunner to this amazing kingdom of God. And so I'd like to invite you all to join together in song in a shared response to this call. Our song is Make Me a Channel of Your Peace, and it's a prayer, an ancient prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. And so I'd invite us all to prayerfully reflect on these words and to join together, asking that God may make us his agents of peace. <laughs>